Hello everyone, welcome to episode two of Learning Tech Talks. I'm here once again with our friend and host of the show, Christopher Lind. How are you, Chris? I am doing well. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, today's guest, uh, we're actually joined by Nick Howe, who's a Chief Learning Officer at Area 9 Lyceum. Uh, hey guys, welcome hey everyone. To, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you. We're like, we're all over the world today. Are we? Where are you tuning in from today? Uh, I am in Los Angeles, California today. Nice. So we got and West Coast. We've got Midwest. We've got Europe. Yeah. So London. unfortunately, yeah. it's not too early for you guys and not too late for me. So it's perfect. No, for everyone. this is the perfect time. Thank well, look, thanks so much for joining us, Nick. Um, um, before we jump in, um, tell everyone a bit about yourself personally and sort of your journey to, to where we are today, uh, Area 9. Uh, yeah, without spending too much time, it's been a strange journey um, because I'm kind of in the most peopley part of business that you can get. It's all about human development. But I started out as an engineer, uh, and I'm kind of an engineer by by bent uh, and by training. So I'm a chemical engineer. Worked in Petrochem, moved into IT, did all kinds of things. Um, from there, uh, got into running professional services for a big IT firm, and got that was my first toe in the water with this whole education thing. Um, and owned our customer education business. Um, decided I liked that more than anything else I'd done. So I kind of spent 15 years as, as a chief learning officer at Hitachi um, okay. and saw the, the good and the bad of the corporate L&D space. And then three years ago, made the switch over to Area 9. And I, I guess that's, we'll talk a lot about that in the course of the yeah. next hour. So I'm curious, right? So you've, you've been on the corporate side of the house and yep. I'm always interested when people move from the corporate side over to, as David James put it last week, the dark side. Right? Yep. So what, <laughs> what took you, what took you on that journey over? Yeah, well, it definitely is the dark side. There were all these friends that I had that I used to be able to phone up and chat with. And now they say, what are you like? They don't take your call. <laughs> I want to know you anymore. No, no, they don't no, want to know. I'm a vendor. It's so funny, right? It's just such a, it's actually, a, we're laughing about it, but it's a real thing though. As soon, yeah. as, you get, as soon as you move away, oh, so don't, I'm, I'm a <laughs> yeah. Um, what took me over? It was it was frustration. I mean, the, so part of it was you know I'd been in big corporates for thirty years, and I was I was looking to do something different. But the real impetus for it was just a big wake up call I got in round about twenty thirteen um, when. I was looking at what we were doing as an organization. We were spending you know, more than $10 million a year on education for the organization. Um, and it was award-winning and everything on the surface looked like it was really good. Yeah. But I just, uh, I was worried on a couple of fronts. So one, just as a business leader, because my background was not in HR, it was, I came out of the business. So as a business leader, I was worried that if my CEO phoned me up and said, so what am I getting for this $10 million? <laughs> yeah. I, I might have to dance around that a little bit because I could talk about what, how much we were doing, but I couldn't really talk about impact, which worried yeah. me a lot. And then the other one, which was, I think, as important was... Uh, I knew that we had this massively heterogeneous audience in the, in the organization. Um, people from all kinds of backgrounds, different industries, different tenures, different needs fundamentally. Yet, we all know you have to deliver training at scale. And the compromise that you make is therefore you do one size fits all, or as I used to refer to it as one size fits none. Um, we were pushing out the same programs to the entire global sales force, for example. And even though I knew they had different needs, I couldn't service those needs. So 
my I set off on this what has now been a seven year journey to try and figure out how do I solve those two problems at the same time? How how do I demonstrate impact and know that I'm making a difference yeah. and do that in a way that meets the needs of of individuals? And that led me initially to being a customer of Area Nine and then to come over and join them. Okay. Cool. Well, I mean, and I think one of the things you brought up there that I think is really important in learning and development is it's easy to get caught up in our activities versus oh, yeah. the outcomes. Right? Yeah. Oh, we're doing so much stuff. Look at all this stuff. And and we got this award for this. And and we're so busy. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, we're like, right, but what did we get out of that? And you know, sometimes it's easy to kind of go, oh, uh, well, <laughs> I guess we don't know. Yeah. Um. So So with that, Area Nine Lyceum. I've I'm familiar with it. I know what it is, but tell me and anybody watching just the elevator pitch of a little bit. What is it? What is it? Um, what is it? Yeah. Well, and and my job is to tell people what it is. So I, so I ought to be good at that. <laughs> All right. Um, good. Good. <laughs> we'll, we will see how I do. Um, so we have spent as an organization, 20 years looking at how do people learn and, and more specifically, why don't people learn? Okay. The organization started out when two doctors came together to look at why do physicians make errors in practice and what could you change about the way that medical teaching happens so as to avoid some of those preventable errors. Uh, and over the years, we've been able to apply that same philosophy to pretty much every industry and every type of learning and development. So fundamentally what we do is create software that allows training to be personalized at the point of consumption okay. so as to create much better impact. And the underlying kind of causes for that are if you, if you study the literature and you look at what works in human development, how do people learn? pretty much the best possible way of learning is from a personal tutor. If someone can guide you and meet your individual needs, you will learn much more quickly and you will learn much more and through that process become much more self-aware. The trouble is not everybody can have a personal tutor and certainly in the corporate space, it's almost impossible. So the challenge that we set out to solve was can you create the impact of a personal tutor, but be able to do that at scale for a price that isn't going to break the L and D budget. And okay. so that's what we do. Okay. So that's, and, and I know I, I haven't gone through it or I have gone through it. It's a different experience. And I think that's something that, you know, if you've gone through one of your area nine courses, it's not what people may be used to, you know, in terms of, because getting to personalization, I think in our industry, we've, we've always aspired to that, but I think technology hasn't always allowed us to do it because that's, it sounds great, but being able to give everybody a personal experience. So how is it doing that? I mean, under the hood, right? We were talking about testing before the show, but if we were to look <clears throat> under the hood of area yeah. nine, what is it doing? And then we can kind of translate that to the user experience so that we can say, okay, this is what the machine's doing. This is how as a user, yeah. they're actually experiencing that. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think it's helpful just to define what we mean by personalization, because it's one of these yeah. terms that gets That's used. True. That's true. That's a buzzword, industry. right? Adaptive personalization. Yeah. I, your Absolutely. take on what that so, means so we can set the bar so straight. There are, there are kind of two main definitions of personalization uh, from my perspective. Okay. 
Um, one is this whole Netflixization of learning, which is right. the, the thrust of which seems to be how do we figure out what topics might be relevant to you? In the same way, Netflix is trying to figure out what film might you like. The personalization thing from that perspective is you're doing this role or you've been with the company for this long or you're just being onboarded. Therefore, these things will be relevant to you. Okay. That is not what we do. Um, that arguably is a relatively simple problem to solve because a lot of it is just driven by metadata. Um, you know, you can throw any kind of technology at that and solve it. The much more difficult problem to solve is once you've decided that you want to learn something or someone has decided that you need to be proficient in something, how do you make that happen in the best possible way? given that we are all unique, we all have different needs, we all come to it, you know. So you and I, say all, all three of us, decide we want to get better at podcasting. Yeah. Well, we, clearly... We definitely we want to do that. Very we different. Do, yeah. <laughs> we all need to do that. <laughs> you make a course on that. <laughs> we, yeah. we come from very different starting points. And so it would be mad to think that we could all just take the same course and suddenly we'd all become proficient. So how do you, in as simple a way as possible, be able to take that definition of proficiency and then deliver it to each of us in a way that it optimizes the experience for us? So the way that we do that, and you alluded to this, Christopher, yeah. is that unlike almost every other training approach out there, regardless of whether it's instructor-led or traditional online, where they are really content delivery mechanisms, right? The yes. goal of the instructor is yep. to get through that one day's worth of content and hopefully answer a few questions along the way, but they're going to get there. And even with branching e-learning, there is a series of content and you will take a somewhat linear path through it. Yep. Well, why should we bother serving you up content that you already know, first of all, because we're just wasting your time? And surely the point is not just to deliver content, it's to actually help you learn something. So the way that a tutor would do that and the way that we do it in software is by intermixing questions or assessment items with the content. So okay. the goal is that we are constantly trying to figure out what do you know, what can you do are you understanding the thing that has just been shown to you and then making a real-time decision as to what is the next best thing? And I think the simplest analogy is just to go back to that tutor thing. It's easy to get wrapped up in the software, but the underlying concept is very simple. When a tutor turns up to your house to help your kid learn math, they don't say, here is a math textbook, read that for the next hour, and then we're done. Yeah, yeah. Here's all the curriculums. Yeah. Go for it. Go, yeah. go right. for it. Yeah. What they're going to try and figure out. All right. So, so what are we trying to master today? Let's let me ask you some questions. Let me set you some problems. Let's see how you get on, and then we'll get into the studying part of it. And as we go through that, let me try and figure out: Are you actually learning what I'm trying to teach you? If we hit a roadblock, is there a different way that I can try and help you understand this? so that we can make the best use of the time available to us. I don't waste time teaching you things that clearly you're already proficient in. And I can help you when you struggle so that when our time together is done, you, made the most of it. 
you've made the most of it. We've made the most so of the time. If you encode all of those techniques into software and then sit the content on top of that software, that is essentially what we are doing. And I think practically speaking, if you look at some of the other ways we've tried to do this in the past, maybe, right, is yeah. you know, maybe we took the quiz from the end of an e-learning or something like that, that everybody just smashed through just to get the, the pass. And maybe we drop a couple questions in. But the challenge with that is it still doesn't change the content, right? It's still no. you, you go through it, maybe get a question, you still have to go through the same thing. And so what you're describing then is and we're getting to adaptive learning is that based on your responses, based on what it's assessing that, you know, it's now adapting your journey and only giving you what's relevant or what you need to be able to achieve the outcome. Correct. Yeah. It's basically turning that basic e-learning concept on its head. You know, almost every e-learning course anybody has ever taken serves you up some content and then asks a few questions at the end of it. Yep. If you, if you just flip that 180 degrees and you start, by using questions to try and figure out where people are and then in real time decide whether content is relative relevant or not but then keep going with those questions so one of the other misconceptions is we're not talking about a pretest yeah right? the goal is not answer some questions and we will decide whether or not you need to take this course that is a yeah. sledgehammer to crack a nut the, all of the the learning science one of the, the things which is kind of crucial to the company and why I joined Area 9 in the first place is we're not a buzzword company. Everything we do is based on the scientific literature. The scientific literature is very clear that what you do in the moment really matters. And so we are constantly trying to evaluate how well are you doing? How how well do you think you are doing? And we'll get on to maybe some, some of the dumb yeah. Ruger things in a little bit. Um, <laughs> how well are you actually doing? How well do you think you are doing? And then at this point, should we try and assess you a little bit more or should we serve up some content? So basically we're taking pretty much the same e-learning content, the same content and those same questions, but just using them in a very different way, which means it's from a development perspective, it's not that disruptive. You know, we're not completely tearing the world up. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the same yeah. content that you used before. We just, just have, we've just got really intelligent ways now of using that content instead of just throwing it at you and hoping that it sticks. Yeah. Can I, can I ask a question quickly, Christopher? Please. One, yeah, one, one of the things that I saw on your website, which I, I, I kind of stood out to me, is that you talk about how you track the confidence yes. and the competence of each user. Yes. And I was like, wow, okay. Tell, tell me more. <laughs> that, that's that, the, that, the Dunning-Kruger part, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Part. I know you just referred to that, but I, so yeah. that, that's something that I don't see often in a lot of your competitors. And, I've been, no. and that, that, that never comes up as something they, they claim to be able to track and, and, and give you feedback on an analytics. That yeah, this is, it, it's an unfortunate truth. And this was the big wake up for me. This Six years ago, this was kind of the, the epiphany that I had. It, uh, my opinion is it's an unfortunate truth of learning and development generally, both in universities and in corporates, that everything we do is based on a couple of fundamentally flawed premises, right? One is that if we put content in front of people, they will ma somehow magically just learn it. Yep. And then the second one is that people know what they need to learn. It turns out that both of those are fatally flawed. And for the second one, 
there is just this massive body of research that says human brains are almost designed to trick us. Everybody believes that they are better at doing things than they actually are. (laughs) There must be something about, you know, on the savannah four million years ago, there must be something about that that was beneficial to survival. The trouble is now, four million years later, it's really problematic, you know. And and you can just Google this. It's it's kind of come into common usage fairly recently. But you know, if you study any kind of population, if you're at a party and you ask people how good a driver are you, eighty percent of the people in the room will say they're above average. Chris can drive a Tesla. <laughs> yeah, you know like everything about it's it. It's like it's like an in joke right now between everyone, between us, only us three. Yeah, yeah only us. But, um, by the way, for everyone listening, Chris doesn't have a, a driving license, so yeah. <laughs> that's why they're laughing at me. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's it's something which is built deep into our cognition that we overestimate our ability to do things. And the really problematic thing, and in, in particularly in the corporate space, is that the worse you are at something often the less self-aware you are about your ability to do that. Yeah. And you massively yep. overestimate it. And anybody who's listening to the podcast who's a manager or who's looked after people and who's delivered a performance review, you, you will know that the people who are most surprised are worst grade two. What do you mean I only got a one? I'm amazing. I'm amazing well, at no, that. You're not. You're just and not on the other side though, right? And on the other side, when those leaders and managers get feedback from their employees, it's the same yes. thing. Yeah. I remember when I so, first became a manager and I got my review, I was like, really? That, yeah. That's how I'm not perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Confidence plays a huge role in it. So one of the things that we try and do to help the learning process is ask the learner to self-evaluate. How well do they think they know something? And that does a couple of things. One is that simple act of self-reflection <clears throat> makes you provide a much more accurate answer uh, but secondly, it gives us information about your current state of cognition, which we can then act upon. Because there's a very, you know, if you if we go back to the originally learning example, you throw a question at the end of it and you get it wrong. Well, there are two very different scenarios there. One is that I get it wrong, but actually I wasn't sure. I didn't think I knew it and I was just kind of guessing it. That is very different than me saying, yeah, I know this. I said, I'm absolutely, yeah, I got that. And then I get it wrong. But we treat that traditionally as an identical problem. And clearly they are two fundamentally different problems that need solving. So the ability to get the learner in real time to reflect, and then for us to capture how well they think they did and compare that against how they actually did is hugely powerful in our ability then to go on and help them learn something. When you're combining that, right? I've seen tools in the past where they do just the self-assessment piece, but like what you just talked about, that's incomplete because it's if you're not benchmarking that against what do they actually know, it's really a false read because you're yeah. saying, well, yeah, you think you're great at this, but we really don't know what your skill set's at. So I assume yeah. that you're combining that with the actual, okay, yeah, here's you what you think, here's what actually is true, and then you're putting that together. Yeah, and then the real magic, of course, is that response is noisy. Because we can't necessarily just take what they say as being a true reflection. You know, I'm going to say I know it, even though I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, And so the, the real intelligence in the models 
is this is not branching, right? We're not saying yes. you got it wrong. You said you so were go confident, here. therefore go there. It's much, much more subtle than that. And so we're running those responses through algorithms and looking at that pattern of behavior longitudinally as well, and then trying to figure out over time what is the best way for us to help you learn and making corrections in real time. And I, I kind of hate to use this analogy because it, it's an overused analogy, but it's, it is the best one out there. And, and it's really like applying Google Maps to that learning process. You know, so, so my analogy is that traditionally learning is very much like paper maps. It's been around forever. It served its purpose for a very long time. Yep. It was the best we could do. Doesn't update. But nowadays, <laughs> if you yeah. want to get from A to B, then the most how often are you going to reach into the drawer and drag out a paper map? You're not. You're going to take <laughs> the phone because it knows about traffic. It can help you mm -hmm. if you get lost. Right? It gets updated in real time when road closures happen. And that's my analogy for the way that adaptive learning compares to e-learning. E-learning is very linear. It, it can't adjust if you get stuck. If you go off the reservation, it has no clue that you've done that, and it can't help you get back on. The goal of adaptive is we know you are going to struggle. We know you are going to get lost. Therefore, let us build that into the learning process so we can help you be successful. Well, and what you brought up there is something that I see facing resistance in our industry a lot is that what she says, right? We did the best we could with what we had in the past. And I think sometimes people jump to the extreme of kind of bashing what we did in the past. And then people yeah. get defensive and they get really feisty about like, well, you're, you're saying what we're doing is wrong. And it's like, no, it was, it's not wrong. It was the best we yeah. could do at this time. And this is where I think digital learning is transforming this. It's we're able to do things we couldn't yeah, do in the past. Absolutely. We're able to do things we wish we could have done, but either resource wise, just capability, scalability wise, we just couldn't do it. And now some of these technologies coming out are allowing that because even, and I'm curious on this because you hit on it when you talked about the algorithms, you talk about all this data you're capturing from someone, that level of analysis on it, there's got to be. AI running on that because that's just more that you can't have you can't have a coordinator in the background looking at you know spreadsheets going okay well Nick answered this and all this so <laughs> right so I, I'm I know you talk about AI on there I have to yeah. assume that that is a big part of where you're investing in your AI your algorithms and, and that learning that's happening there yeah it, it is but again AI is one of those terms that gets thrown that's around one, it's yeah. a big one right <laughs> yeah. it's another big um, buzzword yeah. and, and so um you know without going too far down the rabbit hole um so so yes you are right um you do need a lot of computational power to do this so this idea of adaptive learning has been around for 30 years um, or more but it's really only recently that the ability to do these calculations in real time in a in a very user-friendly way has, has come to the fore so we talk about adaptive learning as being the convergence of computer science with cognitive science yes. to do that. Um, and interestingly, pretty much everything we do happens in the browser, right? So we're not, although we serve up content from the cloud, those calculations are happening in real time in the browser. And that's one of the, been the big moves forward. You can now do things in the web interface that were just unthinkable even a few years ago. So, so that's one. Um, the second one is kind of in the general media people, 
think of adaptive uh, think of ai and machine learning as being the same thing whereas yeah. machine learning is and I'm, you know preaching to the choir here but <laughs> for, for the for the uninitiated machine learning is a very small subset of this broader artificial intelligence construct and certainly from our research and we have some very very smart people working on this more than two-thirds of our company are software engineers so okay. we are very heavily biased towards software engineering um there is there are a number of companies out there a number of startups who think this is a machine learning problem that if we get a lot of data from learners and then we feed that into some kind of machine learning algorithm it will be able to figure out what the right thing to do is it turns out that there are two big problems with that one is the data sets are, are often not large enough right and again one of the examples i give is you know how much is netflix spending on its its machine learning algorithms to try and make recommendations for you and how good are those recommendations right often not very not that great yeah not that great and, and they've got a ton they're of data spending, they're spending <laughs> huge amounts of money on that so i think anybody who thinks oh yeah i can just get a little bit of learner data and throw it into machine learning algorithm and no. the world will be a happy place yep. you know there's a bit of a wake-up call and the second one is that the human brain is very noisy and what we found is that even if you have a lot of data it is very difficult to get those algorithms to converge in ways that truly meet the needs and so so yes we use ai but what we use are algorithms that have evolved over quite a number of years that are often still handcrafted and hand tuned okay but they work right i mean that's yeah. that's the good thing we now have we've trained something like 20 million learners we've got 20 billion data points that we've been able to run through the algorithms and those algorithms are getting smarter over time as more and more people take these these types of training we get more edge cases yep. um, and the interesting thing is we've now got to the point where these algorithms are sufficiently robust that i mean we teach fifth grade students kind of 10 11 year olds yeah all the way up to folks at the end of their careers we you know we teach physicians who are becoming board certified and we teach pretty much every domain that you can think of so the state of the art is now to the point where pretty much any subject for almost any age is amenable to these types of adaptive learning approaches well, I know when we talked, when we first met and talked about having on a show, that was one of the things when we started talking about, okay, there's a lot of noise out there about adaptive learning. A lot of people are saying, oh yeah, our platform does adaptive learning. And when I asked you, is, is that, what, what's your big competitive differ, differentiator? That was really what you talked about was the accuracy and the ability for your platform to be able to do that very well, because other people might be able to do adaptive, but back to your Netflix analogy, if what it's adapting isn't actually very accurate, then then it's all for naught. Yeah, and I and what and I I come at this from a position of a customer, right? So I was a chief learning officer. I had thousands and thousands of of employees that I was responsible for developing. And when I was first looking at this adaptive learning thing, my first kind of binary decision point was like the Hippocratic oath: first, do no harm. Yeah. So I had to make sure that whatever we were going to do, 
was not going to accidentally create the, a worse learning experience for someone. Yeah. <laughs> so part of evaluating this whole adaptive learning space was understanding, are you actually able to meet the needs of this very broad range of people that you can't predict in advance? You know, I, I don't necessarily know what people need. And therefore, I have to rely on the software to be able to make those adjustments in real time, regardless of whether I am a new hire in Tupland or I'm a salesperson or a doctor who's been working in that space for 30 years. Yeah. Um, and that's the real trick. So two, two follow-up questions on this, because I think this is something that I've been interested in, and I'm curious your take on this, is that a lot of times in, in learning and development, and even back in my education days, we, we can sometimes fall for the myth that everything's an edu people don't know something and sometimes yeah. it's just you just need to do something yeah and so when i look at the capability of area nine it's it's not a tool for every job right because sometimes it's just i just need to get something done i just need some support to get through it i don't need to build out my knowledge base what are some and we don't have to go super deep yeah. But what are some practical use cases where, hey, this is really a good problem for this tool to solve? And what are some where you'd go, no, adaptive learning does not make sense. It's overkill to try and throw it at that is is not a good use of time and resources. And you're yeah. better served with a job aid <laughs> than, <laughs> than a whole adaptive learning yeah. experience on how do I get into my HR system and, you know, file an expense report. Absolutely. So, um several comments on that so one it is not a panacea absolutely yep. and i think anybody who claims that you know you should probably stop talking to them <laughs> just end the just end the just, podcast just end right the here. Conversation. <laughs> um, there is no substitute for good requirements definition yeah so, so not everything is a learning problem first of all and then even if it is a, a or not even a performance problem, if it is a performance problem and a learning problem then the example you gave is is one of the best ones. Is this something that I need to remember and know how to do? Or is it something I can look up and get performance support in real time? Again, there is no one of the fears with this whole adaptive learning thing. Oh, it's going to take our jobs away. We don't need instructional designers anymore. No, you absolutely need all right. of that practice. Right. The, the worst sin you can commit is trying to solve the wrong problem. Yep. Um, or throwing technology at a problem that didn't need doesn't to be, exist. Or yeah. doesn't exist or didn't need it in the first place. So um, what it is good for, a, a general statement I would make is that, <clears throat> excuse me, if, ooh. There you Can go. Take a drink. It's fine. This was a big question. This was a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. It's a big question. <laughs> um, if you can teach it online, then you can teach it better adaptively. So okay. if you have made a decision, and, and often that's a question of scale, first of all, um, it's, um, and you've made a decision that it is something that someone needs to become proficient in, regardless of whether that is knowledge or skill, right? something I need to know or do, and regardless of whether that's, I need to deeply understand this so as to be able to perform this well, or it's simply, I need to know that at this point, I need to stop and look at this checklist. Right? If you have made a decision that someone needs to be proficient in something, then I would argue that by personalizing that teaching, you're going to get an order of magnitude better impact than if you don't. 
Yeah. So, so that's a, a very broad generalization. Now, having said that, there are some things that are still better done in the classroom. There are some things around group interaction, around role playing. Um, there are certain aspects of mentoring, um, but it, it is uh, it has surprisingly broad applicability um, yeah. and, and often best used in a blended environment. Um, okay. But yeah, but well, and I think what you're getting at, right, is the no piece, right? If it's a if it's a problem of of knowing something, that's really where it it, it is. Well, yeah. so that's that's the the default. Right. Certainly, if it is knowledge that you're trying to teach, whether you're trying to teach someone um, about a product, whether you're trying to teach someone about a policy, whether it's compliance training, whether it's understanding a safety situation, whether it's the, the basic knowledge you need to be to be a doctor, right? Yeah. All of that is kind of low hanging fruit. You should absolutely teach that adaptively. Um, we're doing some work with a major publisher right now on the U.S. medical licensing exam, what they call USMLE. It's the how you become a doctor. That is something like 60,000 learning objectives, right? Wow. Just a massive body of knowledge. And we expect our doctors to kind of know everything. You expect to be able to go in there with almost yeah. any problem and expect them to somehow recall, oh, yes, I recognize that, and I know what to do about it. Fun fact. Um we train a lot of doctors. Um, you, we talked about Dunning-Kruger earlier. Yeah. The, we measure this thing called unconscious incompetence, where I think I know something, but in fact I don't. The average level of unconscious incompetence among doctors, as measured by us, is something like 18 or 19%. So one in five things that practicing doctors think they are, know with confidence, in fact, they are wholly or partially incorrect. I felt like that oh. when I go to the doctor sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so any, you, just, you just made a whole lot of doctors mad, Nick. Yeah, well, you know, the data there's lie. been times where I've actually gone to the doctor and I've been like, actually, you're wrong uh, on a particular subject. And because I, and I'll be like, this is what, and they're like, oh, yeah, actually, you're, you're right. Uh, but just and so, and now, you know, a, now you know you've got a one in five chance that you're right, Chris. Yeah, but <laughs> on that, though. Love um, it. And, and this is where we kind of get into the learning part. And um, it's not a criticism of them. There are very no. good reasons no. yeah. why they may hold those misconceptions. They may yeah. have been taught that at medical school. Research might have evolved. And yeah. that's the big difference between adaptive learning and testing and, or exams. Mm -hmm. The goal of an exam is to, is to do a check at the moment to see how well do you do and almost by definition give you a passing or failing score. The 100% goal of adaptive learning is to help you learn so we want you to become more self-aware. We want you to admit when you don't know. We want to help you become self-aware of things you don't know so that we can help you get better. And that is certainly applicable across the knowledge domain. Um, but it, it also applies to skills. Now, it is typically more difficult to teach skill online. But ultimately, you know, where this is going to go in a few years' time is that certainly for some of those skill items, the convergence of AR and VR with personalization. I mean, ultimately, you, that's what you want. You want the immersion of being as close to the work experience as you possibly can be, but you also need to be able to meet the individual where they are. Um, but for the time being, let's say, if you can teach it online, apply right. adaptivity to it, it'll make it better. 
Well, and, and I mean, I can just say from my own personal experience, right? There's nothing more frustrating. This is what we deal with in L&D all the time. There's nothing more frustrating as an end user being told you have to go through stuff. If you're like, I know this, like, yeah. or I'm already, you know, oh, yeah, here yeah. comes my annual training that I have to take again this year yeah. that I took six months ago and I already know all this stuff. And now I'm forced to go through that stuff. So with that though, here's another little shift. Yeah. business and you mentioned it's not a panacea and i think that's where fundamentally you know we do have to look at this and this is where the whole concept of the ecosystem of how you do this comes together is yes there's that knowledge piece but how do you balance that and maybe how do you work with you know that action oriented okay now you know all this stuff we have a really yeah. accurate assessment we've given <clears throat> you the information but at the end of the day there is still that if you don't put it into action after the fact, it's either lost or yeah. you know it just goes away. So how do you work with organizations to kind of help balance that so they don't go, great, we've got adaptive learning. We put all our stuff in there. <laughs> Everybody knows this stuff. So therefore, we must be so much better at it. And it's like, well, maybe not. Um, yeah, you ask some really good questions. My brain is in a different direction. So um, let me just say one thing, first of all. So again, as a, as a chief learning officer, um, one of the things, I, I never defined us as a training organization, first of all. Yep. Um, the goal, I saw our goal of organization was the best use of company capital to build capability. Right? So at that point, if you can't answer the question, am I actually building capability, then you probably ought to go and reevaluate what you're doing for a living. Um, but you're right. It's all about then putting that into practice. But first of all, you do need to be not, you do need to know that people are capable of doing that, right? Because otherwise yes. the practice doesn't matter. So first of all, have you actually got evidence that people are at least capable of doing this thing? And then how do you go about putting that into practice? So there's a couple of different dimensions to that. One is that you can build into the online approach, into the adaptive approach, what we call activities. So where people are actually demonstrating knowledge of something or are practicing something, it might be a simulation, it could be whatever it is. And that may well be peer reviewed. So you're getting some kind of cohort interaction. But there is then that on the job component, because ultimately, yeah. as you say, Christopher, that's what matters. Are people actually behaving differently, which is ultimately where we want to get them to. Right. So not an easy problem to solve, but you can make some inroads into that. And one of the ways that we've approached that is, so I've now got evidence that you are capable of this. We're going to watch you perform something in practice. Yeah. So whether that is a salesperson doing something or whether a doctor doing something, whatever it happens to be. And as I author the adaptive learning experience. Let me tag some of those things as on-the-job-based tasks. Yeah. And that gets then automatically spit out into a little on-the-job assessment tool. So now as a manager or as a coach or as a subject matter expert, I can, or even just from a, an individual learner's perspective, we can either grade someone on how well they did that was a really poor interaction, or you knocked that out of the park, you were really good at asking those open-ended questions, whatever it happens to be, or just let the 
the employee or the learner self-reflect how well did I think I did against that, against this rubric of I should have, oh, damn it, I forgot to die. But then collect that data, feed that back into the adaptive engine, and then let them go back into that experience. So now the adaptive engine, as well as knowing what I struggled with on the first learning, I can now, I've now got information about how well did I actually perform on the job. And it can go in and help reinforce and focus in on those things that I struggle with. So now we've got that full closed loop. Now you can still do, you know, that doesn't replace job aids or whatever else performance support might be needed. And it, it doesn't eliminate the need for a manager to be supportive and all those types of things. But at least it is providing that closed loop feedback between real world application and behavior and the things that we're actually trying to teach someone. Okay. Nick, Nick how do you go about helping companies when you're onboarding them yep. personalize the platform to their needs? As that sounds like a, it sounds like it's a, is it a lot more work than the traditional approach? Cause it sounds that way. No, uh, there's nothing, there's, there's almost nothing needed. It's, it's because the beauty of all of this is, you know, when you use Google Maps, you don't care about all the stuff that Google has to do in the background, background. to make that work. You've got a super simple user experience. And that's what we've tried to do with adaptive learning. Right? We don't want the technology to get in the way of creating those learning experiences because we are not a content developer, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, the platform is used by organizations who are developing their own content. So whether I'm an airline that's training pilots or ground crew or whether I'm you know, a hospital, whatever it happens to be, then it's their content. And so we want to make sure that we remove any barriers they might have to getting that content and making that as a, a powerful learning experience. So there is no customization. There's no tuning of the algorithms. There's no optimization of the algorithms. You author the content in a way that looks like any other authoring system, pretty much. Okay. You add some assessment items to it, which you would probably have to do anyway if they were just normal summative questions, but we just you author argue, admittedly a few more questions because we do want to try and get yeah, with yours, very more good yeah. data. Um, but that, at that point, you're done. Right? I don't have to worry about what if this happens or I've got this type of learner or, you know. Okay. So what, as an organization, it's not up to us <clears throat> to figure out how all this stuff works, but there is an element of change in that you talked about the fact there's authoring tools in the plat. So you are right. You're authoring content in, in the platform. And then are you supporting organizations through that? Cause that is a bit of That's a transition. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Gotta be yeah. a little yes. bit of, if you've well, got a absolutely. team of people who've developed e-learnings, yeah with the assessment at the end. And now you're saying, yeah. no, that's not how we're yeah. thinking about that's it. Exactly right? That's I mean. a, that's yeah. a mindset shift. No. And I have to imagine you got to help orgs through that. Mm. It, it, it is. Um, and it's a, it, there's a maturity curve that people go through as you would yeah. expect. Um, the good thing is the Delta is remarkably small. There are no unique okay. skills needed to create these adaptive experiences compared to non-adaptive. You just right. have to apply those skills in a slightly different way. In a different way. Um, there is that there are probably three two or three major things that you need to adjust as an l and d function so one is that you do have to think more about what it is you are trying to create as an outcome right uh, unfortunately 
um, a lot of training today is very content centric. I've got a PowerPoint. I'm going to wrap it in some kind of thing Fancy and throw it out. And yep. we call that learning. Well, no, that's content delivery. Don't fool yourself. <laughs> content delivery. Yeah. So, so part of it is, you know, if you are doing good instructional design, you're already there. But it, it, it really helps if you are stepping back and thinking, what are we actually trying to accomplish with whatever it is we're going to roll out? So that's number one. Number two is the ability then to break that down into granular chunks. It is much more easy to assess whether someone could pull the right lever than, you know, how do you assess, can you drive a car? Right. That's a very complex assessment. It's yes. much more easy to say, you know, do you know how much brake pressure to apply in this situation? So the more granular you can make it, the easier it becomes for the adaptive engine to work its magic. And then the other unfortunate truth is it's very easy to write bad questions. Yeah. <laughs> From all the years we've been doing it. From all the years. We've been. <laughs> True, false. Well, that's a 50% guess right there. So don't do that. You know, right. Don't do that. No, don't do that. We've got these three really badly written answers and then this yeah. one super long paragraph that sounds actually pretty good. Yeah. So, so, so Chris, the, the short answer to your question is something we call learning engineering. Okay. So part of what we offer to all our clients as we work with them in this process is um, first of all, let us build the first one for you, right? We will work with your content. We will work with your subject matter expert, and we will show you what best practice looks like. Right. Um, but then as part of that, we're going to onboard you through this process. And if you're already doing good instructional design, if you already know how to write good assessment questions, you're 95% of the way there. There are a few little things about the platform. One of my frustrations with a lot of e-learning and particularly with, with ed tech authoring tools, is they've made it easier and easier and easier for non-learning professionals to create to bad content. content. Yep. Um, and so part of it is just unlearning some of those bad practices. Um, but what we've also tried to do, it, it, the, one of the other interesting things about adaptive is it's highly interactive. So second by second, minute by minute, you're self-reflecting, you're answering questions, you're responding, you're looking at content. Um, that is very engaging as a process. So a lot of the things that you might typically do in non-adaptive learning to try and make it more engaging are not necessary with adaptive learning. So it can actually be simpler to create adaptive training than it is to create non-adaptive, which is somewhat counterintuitive. Okay. Uh, Nick, I'm sure everyone's thinking in the comments, could you give us an example? Could you share some stuff with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so, well, give... I mean, in terms of a screen share, could you share yeah, something I on can. screen? Yeah, I was I like... <laughs> um, so let me try and we'll see if we can do our inception thing again. <laughs> All right. So let me set that to full screen. Uh, we, we can see it, by the way. Ivan worked his magic. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Yep. All right. Um, let me zoom into this a little bit. Um, so a, a very boring screen, I must admit. Um, not a lot there, but uh, we're inside the authoring platform, um, and I've got two different modules. So those of you with the European bent will know about the GDPR regulation. Very exciting. Very exciting. We very exciting. <laughs> uh, cutting stuff. Cutting okay. edge. Um, <laughs> data privacy regulations. Um, and I'm going to use this as an example, but don't get too hung up on the fact that this is 
kind of dry knowledge-based content. The, what I'm going to show you, the exact same things apply to almost anything you can think of. Um, so let, let me just open up the editor um, and we will see, uh, again, let me zoom in a little bit here. Um, this is typically how most sequential courses get built, non-adaptive courses built. You've got some kind of intro, you've then got a series of pieces of content which are going to be combinations of images or videos or whatever they happen to be. Um, and then you throw in a few questions at the end of the module to see if anybody learned anything. And, and you just create this simple, you know, linear experience. We're yep. all familiar with that. Um, so if I look at the adaptive equivalent of that, well, it kind of looks the same, right? We've got a tree of learning objects objectives that are laid out sequentially and linearly, we've still got that same content that we had before. And we've also got the questions that we had before. The big difference is they're now intermixed. So I've now aligned the content with some one or more assessment items and aligned that to the learning objective the thing that I'm trying to get the learner to master, whether that's knowledge or skill. But as an author, I still go through that same process. Same process. You're right? following the and, same process. Isn't and it? the as authoring a tool is very much like any authoring tool. I've got templates. If I want to build out multiple choice questions, I can create you know, new answers. I can mark them right or wrong. I've got all the typical drag and drop, multiple choice ranking I can create. Mm -hmm videos and all those types of things that you do in any other authoring tool. So the magic is a that I can still author in the same way and I can still author sequentially. But the magic is then what happens when I use that. So if I launch that sequential, uh, that adaptive version of the course, um, oops, let me just hide that away and make this full screen companies, organizations, um, cause that. Um, so as with most e-learning courses, you know, you open up with some kind of intro, some kind of yep. video, whatever it happens to be. But now I'm immediately starting to get questions and problems. And then, so it's checking to see, do I actually know anything about GDPR before I even show you any content in this situation? Do I know anything? And how confident am I? These are those confidence. Okay. That's how it works with both of them there. Right. So I can say, yeah, I, I think it's that. I, I think it's those two. Well, actually, no, you're wrong. Um, so here's some immediate feedback. Oh, and by the way, here's some content. And the coach is also suggesting it over here on the left-hand side. If you want to look at that, please do. But we're not going to force you at this stage because we do want to, although the adaptive engine has control of everything we do want to give the learner learner agency we do want to give them some control over this Power experience, them a little bit right because otherwise they just get as that particularly as adults you get very frustrated if you can't do that right and so um okay i've now got some feedback and the system's going to say all right now here's some content take a look at this you know and this would be your classic course we're going to show you some content and then you're going to do next well here we're actually going to say is this something you think you already knew? Do you believe you now understand it? That's additional fodder to the adaptive engine. So I'm going to say, okay, okay now, yeah, now I got it. And now it's going to ask me a question. Now, it, 
the order that things happen, if I just bring out the table of contents. Um, so here is the structure of the course. And again, don't get too hung up on the fact that this is GDPR. This could be anything right. that you're trying this to do. This could be anything. Um, the system is making a decision about where should I go next in this course? Should I go back and cover something that you've just seen because you got it wrong or you struggled with it or you weren't as confident as you should have been? Should we maybe jump ahead a little bit and see how you get on there? Should we show you a, some learning content? Should we use another problem? And so essentially what you've done is handed over, although the developer created this sequentially, the order that the learner interacts with it is going to be based on how they interact with it and the responses that they give such that, and up in the top of the screen here, you'll see this red progress bar. This is not how much content have you seen. This is how much, how many of the learning objectives have you demonstrated proficiency on to the satisfaction okay. of the adaptive engine. And so our job is to get you through all the learning objectives regardless of whether you need to see the content or not. And so you and I can answer the same question in the same way, but then depending on how we did when we hit next, that is completely under the control of the engine. So we can answer the same question in the same way, but it will take us somewhere else. I was just going to ask, so on this one, because so I'm, I'm thinking about this from the, from the end user side, this is a shift as an end user. Right. So if you if you're used to getting assigned a course and you're just like, I don't really like I'm mashing the next button until yeah. I get to the end so I can get 80 percent and pass this. And now all of a sudden, oh, I actually have to sit down, pay attention and actually engage in this content. That is a yeah, like, that oh can be a bit God. of a culture you, shift for an organization. Like, what do you mean? I actually have to pay attention to this compliance training. Yes. Have you yeah. seen organizations work oh through that? God. And like, does that cause some resistance for folks? Um, so again, I, this goes back to the comment I made earlier about first do no harm. Um, yeah. and so I deliberately tested this before I made the leap to adaptive as an end user, I deliberately tested this with what I believed was my most critical audience. Okay. And we've seen this repeated time and time again, that actually, I mean, there are always outliers, but yeah. in, in the, you know, in the 98th percent case, um, that is not what happens because whatever frustration they might see with, oh my God, I've actually got to put some effort in here. Um, they immediately see the flip side of it, which is this is adjusting without us telling them. I mean, this is the other big takeaway, I, I think, for the listeners. When we rolled this out to 10,000 users, we did not tell them, and when I was CLO, we did not tell them that anything was changing because okay. they don't care. It's a training call, <laughs> right? <laughs> We'd like to think they do. Right, for yeah. us, for us, I love that, I love really that really point, like though. Right? Yeah, I love that it's point. adaptive, it's exciting. It's no, it's not. It's, they don't care. They just want to do it. They, they just want to get their day. It's part of their job. They know they've got to do it, and, and they just, but they want to get on and get out. Um, so we didn't tell them. You know, on a Friday, they launched a storyline course and they took some training, and on Monday, they launched an area nine course and it was adaptive. Um, because it launched through the LMS in exactly the same way. That's the other set. The, the all the power, 
all the calculations. Yeah, that was one of the questions I was going to ask about it. Yeah. So, so this is completely transparent to the way that you launch the content. Okay. So, so we just create a SCORM object. We drop it into an LMS. The learner launches it. And so, so they get this screen that you're seeing now. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's an e-learning course. I hit the next button like I always do. Okay. Now, one of the things I, I will just say while we're on this screen, down in this left-hand corner is this little slider that goes from novice to expert. Um, so ultimately, the control is under the power of the adaptive engine. But we do want to we, – we can't read the mind of the learner. Right. And so it could well be – that I'm taking a course that I know I am a complete novice in. And so as a learner, I can set off to the left-hand side and it will behave now much more like a course that they are used to seeing. It's going to show me content and then it's going to ask me questions. Now, if I struggle, it's still going to loop back and forward and make some changes to it. Um, but it's going to behave more like they expected to. They're not going to get confronted with questions immediately. Conversely, if I think I'm an expert, <clears throat> It's going to hit you hard on the beginning. It's going to hit much harder. And it's going to really, because what I'm saying is I should be able to demonstrate my proficiency and get out of here quickly and not even need to see any content. And so let me do that. And we typically see um, a four to one ratio in the amount of time difference between folks who really are competent and can get through these questions and answer them accurately with confidence versus those people who need a lot more support and take a lot more circuitous route in order to be able to get to mastery. Okay. So it kicks you off the Mount, off Mount Stupid very quickly. If you say, hey, I know all this <laughs> and I'm, I'm perfect at it and you don't, like, bam, you're going to very quickly realize, oh, maybe I don't know it quite as well as I thought. Yeah, and that, as I was saying, I, I, um, let me just stop sharing that for a moment. Uh, hopefully I can switch this back over. Um, he did. The, uh, the, the big thing that we found when we rolled this out to the audience was, one, they very quickly realized it was adapting to them, and they liked that fact. They could tell that it wasn't showing them things they didn't need to see, and they could get through it very quickly. And also, that self-awareness thing is very powerful that, again, in the vast majority of people, they don't like being told that they're stupid, but if you, yeah. you, know, if you help them become just self-aware of some of the gaps or misconceptions they hold, then generally that is a very positive experience for them, not a negative one. Okay. Well, I, I know we're coming towards the end of the time here, yeah. um, you know, but I think one of the things you hit on that is important is that you know, because one of these things you hear these platforms, you're like, does this mean we have to go get a new LMS or this is a new yeah. LMS or we have a new, you know, a new interface? It really is. It's a behind the scenes. Yeah, right? it's a behind the scenes that then feeds into your existing. E and it's more about, OK, I as a learner, I go through the same channels I'm used to doing. It's just my end experience is better. Yes. So there isn't a whole lot of change management. And, oh, we need to tell you how all this works. And no, you know, this is not that. a. This is not a three-year rip and replace, oh, my God, I need a new LMS type of project. This is, you know, I'm, I'm going to build an adaptive module. It's going to take me the exact same time it would take to build a non-adaptive module. I'm going to drop it into my LMS, and then I'm instantly going to get the benefit of this. Yeah. On, yeah. Two, on two significant fronts, one is the learners are going to see the immediate benefit because they're going to become more proficient. They're going to learn more quickly. They're going to have a much better experience. But secondly, 
we're capturing all that data. So now from an L&D perspective, I have instantly instrumented my entire learning experience in right. a way that I've never been able to do before. Because so now I'm, I have more than just pass-fail data. Absolutely. I'm now getting granular data on every single element of every single course. Right. And so and one of my criticisms of XAPI is, you know, great in theory, we can get all this granular data, we dump it in an LRS, and then we never have time to go and look at it. Right. It just becomes this repository, whereas with the adaptive approach, the algorithms are using the data in real time. So you're getting immediate benefit. Even if you don't look at it, you've got that autopilot that's yeah. taking care of all that analysis for you. But the data is there if you want to go and al analyze it later. And, and often we encourage this is that maturity I was talking to you about. We will work with customers to help them reevaluate their curricula based on the data that they're getting back from their learners now. Do we even need to teach this? What are the parts of the curriculum that are working much better than others? Well, and I just I just see from my perspective, looking at that as being able to, because there's a lot of times we get hit with, oh, people don't know this, or they don't know any, and we can actually go back and say, well, they do. Yeah. Maybe they do, or yeah, you're right. Maybe they don't, or this is exactly where they don't. They know this, we can make smarter decisions with that data versus just, let's peanut butter spread everybody. And that was everything probably, that works. yeah. And, and that that was and this is kind of as we wrap up this is that was probably the most powerful learning for me as i made this tradition to adapt it we had a particular audience where we'd rolled out some training they'd had instructor-led training and they'd had online training and there was a general assumption that they had you know they were proficient yep. for reasons i won't go into we ended up then also putting them through some adaptive training we found out that there was massive misconception in that audience because we were asking that confidence question. Yep. We found out that some people were 40%, 40% unconsciously incompetent. They thought they were doing the right thing for the customer. They thought they knew how to solve that problem when in fact their knowledge was fundamentally flawed. Right. And it was only when we got the adaptive data that we were truly able to diagnose what was going on and then remediate for that and correct it. And it and it happened, that remediation happened automatically. We didn't have to take an extra step to solve that problem. Okay. But my, my assertion is that many of the problems that occur in the workplace are not because people don't know something or can't do something. It's because they think they know it or they think they can do it. And particularly under pressure, people revert to stored behaviors. And if those stored behaviors are wrong, things are gonna go wrong in the workplace. Perfect. Well, hey, th thanks so much, Nick, for joining us on number <laughs> two. We probably could just keep going, yeah. honestly. I could sit here and keep <laughs> these conversations. It's a big subject. It, it is. It is. But uh, so if folks you know, are watching and they're just curious and they say, hey, I'd like to learn more about what's the best what's the best way for them to either get you know in touch with you or, or with someone there to learn more about it? Yeah. Um, so my email is pretty straightforward. Nick at area9.dk which is a bit weird. We're a Danish company originally, so .dk. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Area9Nick. Um, I'm obviously connected to you on LinkedIn. Uh, our website, area9lyceum.com. Um, okay. But yeah, Google me. There's a, I've done a bunch of, of uh, videos and webinars on this subject. It is a at one extreme, it's incredibly simple. At the other extreme, you can dig in. <laughs> it's very deep. It goes very on forever. Well, so it's a fun yeah. subject.
We'll link it no. for everyone listening on LinkedIn. We'll link everything in the description. Yes. And uh, if you, if we've already in the description on LinkedIn, you have a link to our podcast uh, platform uh, platform where you can subscribe on any of the your favorite platforms, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. Choose oh, one that's tough. best for you. You can do that, and we'll update the show notes shortly for you with everything that you, that you have there. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, Dick. When I saw on your website that you claim to be the most advanced learning platform in the world. I was a little bit skeptical, <laughs> but now, but but now after we, this episode, you're taking me one step closer to being a believer. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, well, thanks again, Nick, for the time. Really appreciate it. Um, for for everybody watching, we're doing a shift in days. So starting next week, we're moving to Tuesday. So we'll be back here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. with scrimmage. Uh, and talking about mobile learning. Um, but but that's the change there. That'll go through the end of November and then December, we're moving to Fridays. But uh, look forward to everybody coming back next week. Nick, thank you so much. This was thank you, Chris. fantastic. Thank you, Chris. I love the conversation. All right, appreciate it. See you there, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.